professional audio slate in three, two, one. The Garner Andrews Show with Bryce Kelly presents That Was Close. Yeah, maybe we should bring back crime with pantyhose on your face. Because it just smooshes your face altogether. Bryce has B-O-O. Oh, Bryce no, has B-O. Somebody. Oh, <laughs> God, it stinks in here. It's so rank. I've had the door open in this studio for over an hour, and it still smells like armpits meets onions meets halitosis meets tonsil stones meets. What happened in here? There's not a gar. Because I immediately thought, did somebody throw something in the garbage can? There isn't even a garbage can. Maybe it's like, you know, there's that old prank you can do where you would put like a fish in someone's hubcap or underneath their gas cap or something to stink up their car. Maybe somebody, did somebody tape a slice of onion underneath the the console in here? Is there a rotting corpse in the ceiling? Oh, gross. God, this room smells. Yes, these are the hardships we must endure so we can bring you a podcast about survival. Ival, 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 Ival. Mm, I don't know if I'm a big fan of that. I just learned this effect I can do on here, and I thought that added a lot of drama. Drama, 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 drama. Yeah. No. I haven't perfected the use of it yet, 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 yet. Oh, that's pretty yet, good. Yet, 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 Yeah, that's, uh, you almost nailed it there. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> uh, what the hell are we doing? A professional broadcast, podcast. Oh, right, that old thing. You know, this might be the very first podcast that has a game inside of it. Can you name another podcast that starts with a game? I don't think I can. So every week we tell you a crazy survival story, but Bryce doesn't know these stories. He's never heard them before. Well, maybe he has. I don't know. But I always like to start by playing a bunch of clips from songs that were popular the year that this story took place. Okay. And then I like to see if Bryce can guess the year. So far, I don't know, you've gotten a couple, haven't you? I'm in and around the neighborhood. This particular year, though, like the year this story comes from, the music that year, it might be one of the biggest understatements ever to say it was a pretty good year for music. Okay. That's like saying Joey Chestnut has a healthy appetite. (laughs) Or Connor McDavid, pretty good at hockey. Just listen to some of these songs that were blasting out of AM radios when today's story was going down. Listen to this. Welcome to the Hotel California. You know that one. Eagles. How about that one? Go your own way. Or that's a good song. Oh, this is your favorite, though. This one right here. Take a listen to this. Boy. Abba. Or maybe this. The Dancing Queen. Maybe this is more your groove. Let's go. I. Oh. Let's go. Or the cowbell, cowbell classic itself. Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper. Oh, my God. Guts to have more cowbell. Once you hear that cowbell in that song, it's the only thing you can hear. I know. But what a year for music songs, huh? It really was. Do you want to take a guess? I'll guess the year was... 1977. Yeah, that wasn't that good. I will flat out tell you that is... Hold on, hold on. Wrong, 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 wrong. 
Oh, that worked. Oh, that worked. <laughs> Damn, I almost had it perfect. And then I went and talked. 1976. You were off by one year. 76. 76. What a year for music, hey? Wow. Yeah, a lot of bangers in that one. I don't know if I need to hear Hotel California again. Like, it's a fine song. That's not a diss against it, but my Hotel California tank is now full. Everyone loves that. Do you know that's a real place? No, it's not. Do you know there's a real Hotel California? Well, yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's probably a Hotel Vermont. There's probably a Hotel Delaware. I can't afford the Hotel California. I can only afford the Motel California. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to tell a serious story, pal. Today's story takes us back to July 15th, 1976. This is the story of the biggest kidnapping in U.S. history. And possibly history of the world? 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 This is the... <laughs> enough. All right. This is the Chowchilla school bus kidnapping. School bus kidnapping? Uh-huh. Okay, I do not know this story. You don't? Okay. It was 76 a... July? Yeah, July 15th, 1976. The summer of 76. What are the kids doing on a school bus? Well, I'll tell you about that in a second here. Okay, great. This, by the way, this is the same summer that Canada hosted the Olympics in Montreal. Okay. And I remember this because something scarring happened to me that July as well, just like the kids on the school bus. I was just a wee boy. I had a red Montreal Olympics Speedo that my mom <laughs> had hung on the clothesline to dry after I was done tearing up a public swimming pool. And while it was hanging on the line to dry, someone came into our yard and stole my beloved red Montreal 1976 Olympics Speedo. Ooh, okay. It, it was a huge loss for everyone. Um, I know where you're going with this. I highly doubt another child would steal a Speedo, which means it was probably a grown adult. It was a perv. Stealing a child's oh. Olympic Speedo. Yeah. Someone came into our yard, stole a little boy's Speedo. Doesn't that just get you sent directly to prison? That's how you uh, get put on a list where every time you move into a new neighborhood, you have to. You got to introduce yourself to all the neighbors and say, hey, by the way, there was this thing. Huh. So anyway, I'm scarred too. It's July 15th now, 1976, in the small town of Chowchilla, California. It looks like a hot, dry place. It's way out in the middle of California, kind of southeast of San Francisco, north of Fresno. It's nowhere near the beach, nowhere near the water, nowhere near Disneyland. Good. You don't want to be near any of that stuff. Oh, yeah. I am sure it's a fine, fine town, but the pictures make it look uncomfortable climate-wise. And this is coming from a guy that makes his home on Canada's frozen tundra. So this school bus, it's got 26 students on board, 19 girls, seven boys. Oh, boy. And their bus driver. Uh, all the kids are between the ages of 5 and 14. The bus driver's name is Ed Ray. It's like a summer school-type program, so that's why they were on the school bus. Okay. And they were on their way back home from a day at a public swimming pool. It's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The kids are laughing. The windows on the bus are open. It was just a great summer day. Okay, I like these odds for the boys. What was it, 19 girls, 7 boys? 
19 to 7. You also have to remember. Get to work, boys. uh, Some of these kids are like five years old, bro. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And the bus driver's name is Ed. That just seems right. Ed Ray. Ed is the official school bus driver. Yeah, that's a perfect name. So he's behind the wheel. He rounds this corner, and then right in front of him, there's a van parked across the road blocking his path. Oh. He tried to drive around the van, but he was quickly confronted by three men wearing nylons over their heads. That's when you know the criminals, they're not organized. They're not ready. They're not serious. I feel, though, like back in the day, like every movie, every heist show, that's what they wore on their heads. But nobody does it. Like they wear scream masks now or something. Yeah, maybe we should bring back crime with pantyhose on your face. Yeah. It just smushes your face altogether. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) it's horrifying to look at, too. So anyway, they force their way onto the bus and they make Ed go to the back. And one of the kidnappers jumps behind the wheel and drives the bus while the other one holds a gun to Ed Ray's head. Oh. The other kidnapper, he's following the school bus in a van. The kidnappers, they took Ed, the 26 kids, and the school bus to a secret location where they hid the bus. Like, in, it, I saw a picture of it. It's like hidden in tall grass, tall weeds, like out in the desert or something. And they make the uh, Ed and the kids get into two separate vans. And what they did is they backed the school bus up to the vans. And then they made the kids kind of leap from the school bus into the back of the vans so that they wouldn't leave footprints and the dogs wouldn't be able to pick up their scent. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe these guys are serious. No, they're profoundly stupid. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. (laughs) Spoiler. Spoiler. The kidnappers, too, they had completely insulated the inside of these vans with that 1970s wood paneling, like the kind you would have seen on the walls of, you know, one of your friend's professionally finished basements back in the day. Okay, so these are vans that even if you saw them outside of this scenario, you'd hold your kid a little tighter? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, free candy van? Yeah, they look like those vans that shouldn't park near playground. I was looking at pictures of them. They even paneled off the section between the back of the van and the front seats so the kids, they couldn't see who oh. was driving the van. And they blacked out the windows on the back too. So, And they were just forced to sit on the floor. There was no seats. So they couldn't see where they were being driven. No ventilation, no water, no toilets, just darkness. Ooh. Um, one girl, her name is Jennifer Brown Hyde. She was nine years old at the time. Uh, told 48 hours, I felt like an animal being taken to a slaughterhouse. Ooh. Again, she was nine. Yikes. That's risky business, having a bunch of kids in the back of a van. No toilet, no ventilation of any kind. Even with that handsome paneling. Yeah. I'm sure smells would creep through. Well, listen to this part. This makes no sense to me. They load the kids and Ed Ray into two separate vans, and then they drive them around for 11 hours. 11, so they're stopping for gas to do this. I was thinking about that, and they didn't go that far. They only traveled like a distance of about 100 miles, which is 160 kilometers from where they first took these kids. But what they were trying to do is they were trying to disorient them. But I feel like you probably could have done enough disorientation in two or three hours. Like, I I feel like I would have lost interest and stopped counting how many times we stopped. (laughs) Did I hear an airport? That kind of thing. Probably... By hour number two, I would have checked out. You didn't need to do that for 11 hours. Yeah, we all know children are a wonder and the future. But I think if uh, it wouldn't be that hard to fool a five-year-old 
they're not counting how many left turns you're making. Yeah. Like, you probably could have knocked that over a tight 15 minutes. So eventually, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning now. (laughs) Remember, they were kidnapped at 4 in the afternoon. Oh. The vans, they pull into this gravel pit. It's like a rock quarry where the hostages were forced to climb down a ladder into a hole in the ground and into a moving van trailer, like a semi-trailer, just a little bit smaller. And the kidnappers, they had buried this trailer about 12 feet underground in the rock quarry sometime before the kidnapping. Oh, that thing was buried in the ground? Yeah, and when you look at the pictures, the roof, it's all collapsing because once they got it into this giant hole, they had dug, they put like four feet of dirt on top of it to hide it. But if you're not aware, dirt is heavy. It's very, very heavy. And the roof is kind of caved in like a pop can in spots. Ooh. Oh, that is creepy. Yeah. The kidnappers, though, they did put a bunch of mattresses inside for the kids oh, and their nice. bus driver so they could sit down and lay down on. And that was a thoughtful touch. Yeah. Nice guys. They also cut holes in the top of the wheel wells. So they could use them as toilets. Oh, how charming. And trust me, there's not a lot of privacy. Just you, a hole about the size of your butt, and a wide open space inside a trailer with all your classmates. With a bunch of terrified, crying, weeping children. But you know what? If you think about it for a second, the one upside, though, of being, you know, if there's an upside to being buried in a trailer, one of the survivors did tell 48 Hours, He said it was the darkest dark he had ever experienced. His words exactly, it felt like you were breathing dark. So I guess there's probably some privacy if you had to use the... Ooh, breathing dark. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be the name of my self-titled... Death Metal? Death Metal, very moody instrumental album. Yeah. Breathing dark. Breathing dark, that's good. The kidnappers had also stocked the trailer with a small amount of food, like some cereal, some peanut butter. And you know those collapsible water jugs that you take camping? Those okay. clear ones? There's, I saw a picture. There were several of those scattered about. Pretty basic. And there wasn't much. So they're planning to be there for a while. Yeah. Uh, the kidnappers, they'd also run some, it looks like dryer vent pipe, like that bendy collapsible stuff. Okay. So they'd run that up through a hole in the roof to the surface so they had some fresh air. Uh, it was pretty crude looking, though. It doesn't look like any of them had their HVAC ticket. After they got all the hostages into the trailer, the kidnappers climbed back out through the roof, set a steel or a metal plate over the access hatch, and then put a couple of 100-pound industrial batteries on top, plus all the dirt, and then said, smell you later, and the kidnappers took off into the night. Okay, so at this point, they have kidnapped the kids, drove them around for 11 hours, stuffed them into a buried semi-trailer. That's right. And then... Now they need to go to work or get their beauty sleep or something. Well, as a matter of fact, true. Let's talk about the kidnappers for a second. Three young guys. And they all came from good, like one kid comes from a very wealthy family. And the other two kids, their brothers, came from a pretty good family too. Their dad was a doctor. The brothers, James and Richard Schoenfeld, James was 24, Richard was 22. And the mastermind behind the whole thing Frederick Newell Woods IV, Ooh. who was also 24 years old. And if you're thinking, man, Frederick Newell Woods IV sounds like a rich guy name, you're right. He came from a very wealthy family. Interesting. A family worth millions and millions of dollars, crazy amounts of money. Okay, because my first thought when I was like, why would you want to kidnap that many kids? Unless you are 
holding them hostage, trying to get more money. But if they're already rich. I don't get it either. Like they came from, well, I think the the Schoenfeld brothers, like they had money, but not the kind of money that Fred Woods had. That is a rich guy name. It is. Frederick Newell Woods IV. The fourth really makes it. Apparently, though, the Schoenfeld brothers, they'd had some trouble with the law. They'd stolen a car. They were on probation. I think they'd lost some money on a real estate deal. and Sound like bad eggs. Yeah. And they were just looking to make some money in a, with very little effort. And so was Woods. This goes back to your point. Why would they kidnap all these kids? They'd heard a report on the news that the state of California had a $1 billion surplus of cash. And they thought, score, we'll kidnap children because they're precious and the state will definitely pay our $5 million ransom. And kids are easy to control, so they started making their plan. And I made a note here. Yes, kids are way easier to control than adults, but kids can also be annoying as hell. (laughs) Especially 26 of them? Yeah. And originally, I think they were going to go for $2.5 million, but then at the last minute, they're like, let's go for $5 million. Go for a clean five. I feel real bad for Ed at this point, the bus driver. Oh, yeah. Everybody's forgotten about Ed. Yeah, poor Ed. He's stuck in there with 26 kids who are probably looking for a lot of answers he doesn't uh, He doesn't have. Yeah. Well, this is the part of the story where you realize what a bunch of bumbling idiots these guys were. Like, profoundly Guinness Book of World Records level of dumb. When they left the kids and Ed Ray in the buried semi-trailer out in the rock quarry, it was like three or four in the morning. The kids were way overdue for their drop-off after the swimming pool field trip, so the police were already on it. Like, they were hours into this hunt for the missing school bus and the kids. The parents are all absolutely terrified. The media was swarming. And because Chowchilla was a small town, and this is the mid-'70s, the phone system couldn't handle the volume of calls from the reporters and parents, the police, the FBI, everyone. They were all tying up the phone lines. So when the kidnappers went to call in their $5 million ransom, they kept getting a busy signal. (laughs) So they all decided to take naps, you know, and try and call back later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. They went back to their, I don't know if they all went to the same place or they went back to their separate homes, but they all just went and took naps. Jeez. Had a shower, probably a nice breakfast. Yeah. And that's when a plan was hatched down in the trailer. According to um, some of the victims, uh, things were starting to deteriorate inside the trailer. The roof was caving in even more from the weight of the dirt. They were running out of food and water. So Ed and the students came up with a brilliant idea. They piled up all the mattresses and they busted up like a wooden box spring and then used the, had a kid climb to the top of the mattress mountain and they used the pieces of the broken box spring as pry bars, levers, levers to lift that heavy metal plate in the industrial batteries of the hatch. And then the oldest kid, 14-year-old Michael Marshall, dug through the dirt and came prairie dogging up out of the ground the next day, July 16th. Imagine being, like, I don't know where this is yet, like where they buried this thing by quarry. Imagine you're just out for, like, walking your dog and all of a sudden some 14-year-old pops out of the ground. Like, oh, my God. (laughs) But... It took them hours to dig through the dirt. And remember, they had to lift that heavy steel plate, those batteries. Eventually, though, he did manage to surface. He and Ed quickly yanked all the kids from the buried trailer, and they booked it across the dirt. 
And they found the security guard at the rock quarry who was like, hey, aren't you those kidnapped kids? And they're like, yeah, we are. Uh, the police were called and Ed and the 26 kids were safe before the kidnappers could even call in their rent. So, <laughs> oh, my God. They haven't even made the call yet. No, no. Ooh. So the kids are safe. So uh, that's it. Like, that's the survival part of the story. But it's just these guys were so profoundly dumb. From start to finish, Ed and the kids had been hostage for about 28 hours, I think. They were loaded into a bus and they were taken to the only nearby facility that could hold them, a local jail. So there's all oh, sorts perfect. of pictures of the kids drinking little milk cartons and eating apples sitting in a jail. And uh, they were held there for a while because the FBI, the police, they needed to question them um, before they could release them. Now, remember a minute ago, I told you that the kidnappers got tired of trying to call in their ransom demand because the phone lines were busy? Mm-hmm. Well, the three of them said they awoke from their naps to turn on the news and see that the kids had escaped and now they were in a real pickle. I don't think they said real pickle, but they understood. Oh, whoopsie doodle. Yeah, that's when you know you're, maybe you're bad at crime. When all 27 of your hostages escaped yeah. while you were sleeping. They didn't have any doubt about it now. They knew that, you know, there, there was no money in it for them because the kids are all safe. They're back home with their families. So this is going to be the part of the story where we showcase just how profoundly stupid these guys were. After their naps and they got the news that they were totally screwed, they scattered. They took off. They got the hell out of Dodge. But security guards at the rock quarry had seen them there a couple of months prior to the hostage taking and had watched them dig a giant hole in the ground because the rich kid, his dad owned the rock quarry. Oh, my God. He did it. At his- so they knew who this guy was. And they're like, oh, that's the boss's kid. So it didn't take them more than like an hour to even figure out who the kidnappers were. The cops immediately went and searched the father's estate. Remember, rich guy. And they found all sorts of evidence, including a handwritten plan that you can find a picture of it online that says plan right across the oh top of it. Oh, my God. Uh, it's fascinating to see these pictures. The hostage takers even took an inventory of all the hostages while they were loading them into the van, and they wrote it on the back of a jack-in-the-box hamburger wrapper, which the police also found. They wrote down every kid's name and then put their age next to the name. Within a week or two, all three of them were arrested. Richard Schoenfeld, 22, the youngest of the kidnappers, he turned himself in voluntarily in Oakland, California. His older brother, James, 24, was arrested in Menlo Park, California, just as he was preparing to turn himself in. And the mastermind, the brains behind the whole operation, Frederick Newell Woods IV, was arrested right next door to us in Vancouver, B.C. Oh, he made it across the border. Yeah, he skipped across the border into Canada. Oh, so the Mounties got involved. Uh Uh-huh. And it was almost exactly one year later to the day that all three of the kidnappers, they they pled guilty to the charges. At that time in California, there was a law, and maybe there still is, I'm not sure, but it says if you kidnap someone and cause them bodily harm and you're found guilty, that's an automatic life sentence, no chance of parole ever. Oh. And that's what they got, life in prison, no parole. And this was, they're in their early to mid-20s at this time. 
However, a few years later, they filed an appeal. And despite the fact they caused a lot of emotional damage, they bent some frames for these kids. There was no physical trauma caused to these kids. So the court decided it didn't fit the definition of bodily harm. They were still guilty of kidnapping and they got life sentences. But eventually, parole was suddenly back on the table for them. But it would be a long, long haul. Richard Schoenfeld, again, the youngest one, this is in 1977 they were sentenced. Like, they, they were in jail from July of 76 until the youngest one released from prison in 2012. He oh, did 36 wow. years. His brother, James, got parole in 2015. He did 39 years. And Fred Woods, the rich guy, he applied for parole 17 times before he was finally released. And that was just last summer. August of 2022. He sat in jail for 46 years. Holy cow. I was expecting you to say they were out by the 80s. No, no. These guys just got out of prison recently. Ooh. 46 years, though. For me personally, that's about the exact right amount of time for that crime. He messed a lot of people up for life. Yeah, that 28 hours, I'm sure... 26 families and Ed's family also probably spinning off the planet. I think a lot of these kids, when they grew up, they had some problems. Like a lot of people have problems. You know, it's hard to correlate, you know, was that caused because of what happened? But a lot of them did have problems. And also Fred Woods, he wasn't exactly a model prisoner. I read this. He was worth millions and millions of dollars. Like he inherited his family's wealth while he was in prison. Oh, so he came out a rich man. Yeah, and when he was in prison, he was running several businesses from behind bars, and that's something you're not allowed to do. So I think that that probably, you know, hampered his ability to get parole. He also bought himself a mansion that sat empty for years and years and years before he was released, which when you're begging for freedom and the parole board finds out you plan on living the sweet life the minute you walk through the gates... There's a level of cockiness there that's hard to stomach. Like, if I was on that parole board, I'd be like, hmm, not today. That's bizarre that he was buying real estate while in prison. Yeah. All I can think of is if I had a child and that child grew up to kidnap 26 kids, maybe I'd cut him out of the will. You would think, I don't know, give your riches to a local cat hospital or something. Yeah. Not your dirtbag kid. Who just spent how many years in prison? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Ed Ray, though. Um, as of today, there's a granite monument across the, the street from the Chowchilla police station that marks the spot where all the kids were reunited with their families uh, back on July 17th, 1976. Ed Ray, the school bus driver, became a respected hero in town for taking such good care of the kids. Back in 2015, the city of Chowchilla renamed the city's largest park, Edward Ray Park. As a lasting tribute, Ed Ray died in 2012 at the age of 91 in Chowchilla, where he lived his entire life. I was thinking about Ed there. It's probably, I would assume, for the first part of that investigation, a lot of fingers were probably being pointed directly at him. Well, there was some accusations that perhaps he'd, like, I don't want to dwell on it. I probably mean, in some the hurtful end, he, things said. Well, yeah, that he maybe didn't do enough fast enough to get the kids out of there. And or maybe he took s- the kids? Oh, I wasn't thinking that. Some people also say that it was actually 
Michael Marshall, the 14-year-old, that was the one who said, hey, what if we pile up those mattresses and we, like it was his idea? Either way, Ed watched over them. He became a local hero. Good. Now, my next question for you, you didn't listen to that song I sent you, did you? No, I have not. Okay. Do you know who Robert Goulet was? Robert Goulet. I, he's in like an old crooner, isn't he? Like well, a yeah. Goulet-style singer? Yeah, I, and I knew the name. He's an, he's an actor. He's a singer from back in the day. He was one of those big voice actors who acted way over the top. I only know him because I think he had a cameo on The Simpsons once. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. Are you sure this is the casino? I think I should call my manager. Your manager says for you to shut up. Vera said that? I, I wasn't really familiar with any of his work other than The Simpsons. Uh, but I got my mind completely blown right out the back of my head when I was researching this episode and I looked up Robert Goulet on Wikipedia. Turns out he was born in Massachusetts. His parents were Canadian. But after his dad died, when Robert was like 13 years old, he and his mom and his sister moved from the U.S. to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where you and I are sitting right now. Robert Goulet? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. He graduated from uh, Vic Comp. And he was a radio announcer at CKUA. I had no idea. Jeez, I had no idea. He had a big voice, though. Like, he had that big voice. And you're going to hear a, a sample of it right away here. So why are we talking about Robert Goulet? Well, Goulet did a song about Ed Ray, the school bus driver. It's called The Ballad of Chochilla Ray. It's a tough listen. Um, here's the thing. It's one of those talking songs where Robert Goulet just kind of talks, sings the whole story. There's a chorus where the backup singers come in. But for the most part, it's almost like listening to someone sing a newspaper article to you. <laughs> I could have just listened to this song. I could have just played you this song in the podcast and I would have saved myself like 10 hours of research and you could have listened to a three-minute song. I want you to take a little listen to it. This is Robert Goulet and the Ballad of Chowchilla Ray. Ooh, funky. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting this. It's hardly tell. He was three stops down on the school bus run when he found himself looking at a stranger's gun. And they said, don't move, because there's more than one. And he thought he'd never see another rising sun. Oh, wow. Wow. Chow <laughs> chow. Two old vans, one black and one white, they packed old Ed and the kids uptight. And with all of them screaming a terrible fright, they drove off into the coming night. See, Holy we could have just listened to this. This is basically a three-and-a-half-minute podcast with music. Ray kept his cool that day, and he did everything that they would say. He knew one move, and they'd shoot away, and one dead child was too much to pay. I want all news delivered like this. I know. This. What might have ended in a massive grave. What? Chow Chilla Ray. There you go. The Ballad of Chow Chilla Ray. That song is hard to find. You know where I found that? So that's on SoundCloud. But you would never, ever be able to find that. But 
One of my sources for this episode was the city of Chowchilla website. They've got a page all about, like, this is the website you go to to find out when your taxes are due or, you know, the bus schedule. And they've got a page dedicated to this whole incident. And they've got a link to the Ballad of Chowchilla Ray. That's how I found that. Holy cow, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, my other source is obviously Wikipedia. There's an August 2022 article from The Independent by Sheila Flynn. That was good. Uh, And CBS, 48 Hours. They did a whole story about it. Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah. I don't know what my favorite part of that story is. Is it the kids all getting home safe? Or is it that Robert Goulet song? (laughs) I mean, I'm glad the kids are fine, but what a treat to hear that Robert Goulet song. That needs to be a new genre of music where just like important news events from the past are sung that way. I hope that everyone will take a minute and go listen to the whole thing because I didn't discover that until I was done writing this episode. And had I known right up front, I probably would have built my timeline just by listening to that song. Jeez. That's spectacular. There you go. That's this week's tale of survival. It is the Chowchilla school bus kidnapping, the largest kidnapping, I think, to this very day in uh, U.S. history. 